0: Shell have it High School presents the Radical Moderation Podcast. Here's your host, Rabbi Ari Siegel. Welcome back to the Radical Moderation Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Siegel. Remember, all the listeners, if you could leave us feedback, I would love it if it was a five-star rating, but any review is helpful. Uh, it bumps up our rankings on the iTunes list so other people can hear uh, the the podcast. So please again, share, uh, rate us, give us feedback. It's all helpful. We're also on social media. Our Twitter handle is at Rad Moderation and our Facebook uh, page is facebook.com forward slash radical moderation. I am very, very pleased to be joined today by, I believe is an old family friend of mine, of of my family's. I mean, I, I think Rabbi Help God. You spent a Shabbos or two or Shabbatot at my house at some point, or you knew my older siblings. Is that true?
1: Yes, that is true. Uh, Gershon yes. is your old, Gershon's your oldest brother, so I think we were at Gush together, Yeshivat uh, Har in 1981 and 1982. So yes, That's- we go back a long way with the Siegel family. Exactly. So an, a,
0: a family friend who's here, and also an incredible leader uh, in the Jewish community in in multiple settings. You're sort of a jack of all trades in many ways or a Renaissance, uh, Renaissance man in terms of your teaching and your Tanakh scholarship and you're a show rabbi and you're, you, you do quite a, quite a number of things. Are there other things you're interested in outside of the Jewish community? Like what are your hobbies outside of
1: being <laughs> a professional Jewish person? So I, um, I actually love country music. Oh, uh, I love country music because it's, first of all, I enjoy, uh, much of the beat and I enjoy many of the songs and their messages and I find it very inspiring and, and moving. So, uh, that's one thing that I enjoy listening to in the car, in my carpool and not all the kids that I carpool enjoy it, but that's too bad. That's it's my carpool. Um, and, uh, they listen to their own music on their, you know, on their phones anyway. Right. Uh, um, I also, uh, and I enjoy, uh, I enjoy taking hikes and things of that nature, especially with my wife when we have some free time and with my family. And uh, yeah, and I, I like to work out a little bit, not always as, uh, as much as I should. And I enjoy reading, um, uh, I enjoy reading uh, about uh, American history a lot. Lincoln is especially something that I uh, enjoy very much. And uh, so that's something that uh, I enjoy.
0: Well, you just preempted one of my questions, which is, what are you reading now? Is there some? <laughs> is there a book you'd recommend to the to the listeners?
1: A book that I would recommend. So I, um, I actually, I also enjoy reading a lot of Israeli, uh, you know, kind of scholarship, as well as uh, if I can, if I can read some novels from time to time, just to get a sense of what what's going on in the Israeli culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just finishing a very interesting book uh, by. Uh, Uh, Benny Brown, Dr. Benny Brown, about it's called Hamadrich La Chavra HaCharedit, which was a kind of uh, very well done overview of the Haredi community in Israel. Uh, So many of us, you know, enjoy watching Shkisel and that kind of uh, more popular cultural uh, uh, window into the lives of uh, of Jews. But this is a more of an academic overview of the different trends and. And influences within both classical and contemporary Haredi society. So I've been enjoying that very much. Is Dr. Brown uh, a Haredi himself, or he's an anthropologist? No, no, he's a he's a he's a dati person. He's a religious person. He's not Haredi, but he spent his life uh, doing academic research uh, of the Haredi community, and really has a real. He wrote a uh, like an 800-page biography on the Chazon Ish. Hmm. Uh, and he's, uh, written many, many important articles and it's just a fascinating, uh, personality.
0: Yeah. That's pretty, pretty interesting. In terms of country music, where do you fall out on the debate about, you know, sort of old country music versus country pop? And nowadays everything is kind of sound. Yeah. It's supposed to be country-ish, but it's just pop.
1: I'm not so, I'm not such a Bucky in country <laughs> music. I mean, I don't know the old, really old, you know, Merrill Haggard and that kind of stuff. Uh. I kind of came of age enjoying country music, you know, with Garth Brooks, mm. uh, Rascal Flatts. Ah. Uh, that, c- so I'm not so into, you know, every new cowboy, uh, you know. uh cowgirl, or cowgirl. Cow- right, I was very into the Dixie Chicks in, mm. uh, in the 90s, uh, so in the 80s, so, so that's, I guess, my sweet spot of country music, but I still enjoy some of the new music, but I'm not such a Bucky that I could tell you all the different nuances. Got a Bucky is an expert
0: for the, some right. of our listeners who don't I know. I apologize for not translating. No, you, by the way, you translate everything, it's wonderful. That was the first uh, thing you didn't translate. What's your favorite country song? Like what's your best message? Garth um, Brooks Rascal Flatts, what's your best one?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's hard, you know, but you know, you know, you know, uh, you know Bless the Broken Road is a wonderful mm. song. Mm. You know, a lot of messages, you know, um, that's very powerful. There's some very sad songs uh, by Rascal Flatts, Why, about uh, suicide. I mean, there's a lot of powerful stuff out there. Yeah. All right.
0: Maybe offline we'll talk more about country music. (laughs) Uh, I love it. Um, I love it as well. All right. One last uh, softball question before we jump into some of really who you are and and, uh, how you got to where you are. But do you drink coffee? I do not drink coffee, but I'm (laughs) a very big tea drinker. Tell I mean, me more. I mean that—that that to me is disappointing, but I can't—I can't, you know, I can't convince everyone of the
1: deliciousness and uh, of coffee. What kind of tea do you drink? I drink the. I love the non-caffeinated zingers and lemon and all those different berries. I'm ah, a berry. Got it. Celestial seasonings. Celestial seasonings.
0: Vysotsky. Ah, oh, Visatsky. To- <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, you know, there used to be this great tea uh, store, there used to be this great tea place in New York called Tivana. Um, Ah. and it, it got gobbled up by Starbucks and then disappeared off the face of the earth. I think I used to love grabbing a cup of delicious, fresh, you know, loose leaf tea there. And, uh, it was fantastic. And then suddenly it was gone. Starbucks bought them and then never heard from again. Right. It's the, the big, bad monster of capitalism. Okay. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background, your education, your, sure. how'd you get to where you are today?
1: Sure. So I, uh, I actually was born in Argentina. I was born in Buenos Aires. Uh, my family, my mother on her, on her side, on her uh, maternal side, uh, they made, and they, uh, left, they fled Russia after the Kishinev pogroms to, uh, Argentina. Uh, my my, grandfather, my great-grandfather was a shochet, and he was one of the leaders of the community, that uh, there was a whole group of Jews who were encouraged to, you know, to, to settle in uh, South America by uh, Baron Hirsch, you know, the same Baron Hirsch who set up the Memphis, they call the Memphis community from there. Yeah, sure. so, so he encouraged and he helped support uh, Jews who, needed, who wanted to leave the difficulties of Russia uh, to other parts of the world. Uh, at the same time, the Zionist movement was being created. There was also this uh, uh, safety valve. Um, my father's family comes from Warsaw in Poland. He was born in Warsaw, and his family left Poland in the twenties uh, out of uh, pov- for poverty reasons. And he also uh, came to the United to uh, Argentina. My mother was born in Argentina. I was born in Argentina, but it, when I was age four, my mother. Uh, She was a social worker involved in the Jewish community in Argentina. She won a scholarship to do a PhD uh, from the National Council of Jewish Women. And so she and my family, we came to the United States. My mother was the second PhD from Wurzweiler uh, Mm. of Yeshiva University. Um, I think one of the last uh, PhDs that Dr. Belkin uh, was still president of Yeshiva University. Uh, We settled on the west side of Manhattan. I went to Manhattan day school. my family was not fully observant uh, when we came to the United States, but I became uh, very uh, engaged uh, by the, at Manhattan Day School. I'm kind of a poster child of the success of the day school movement. Who, uh, was, in- your most, who was your most powerful teacher there? Who was the, the most powerful teacher who I, till, till today, I still keep in touch with from time to time was Rabbi Chaim Gold, who was a, a master a teacher. Uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, um, and he influenced me and impacted me as well as when I became a teacher as well. Um, He had such a personality and a magnetic personality, but also tremendous love and care for his students. Um, And uh, so I grew up there. I also grew up, so that was one of my main influences. I also grew up in Lincoln Square Synagogue at the height of uh, Rabbi Riskin's, you know, uh, success and uh, impact on the west side and he became a very strong influence on me uh, as well. Um, I grew up in Lincoln Square Synagogue. I, was, I went to the youth groups when they were very active. I eventually became a youth leader there. And so a lot of things were very, uh, I was very impacted. I went to uh, MTA, uh, Yeshiva University's high school. And then I studied, when I completed MTA, I studied in Yeshivat Haaretzion for two and a half years. And I became very close to uh, Rav Lichtenstein, al uh, Racha, blessed memory, and Rav Amital, of blessed memory, and that had a profound impact on me and uh, influenced very much my career path. Uh, I went to Yeshiva University. I studied philosophy in English, and eventually uh, went for a rabbinical ordination as well as for uh, a, a master's in education. And I went, uh, I went right away into Jewish education. I worked in over the last. Uh, 30 years in the world of Jewish education, I've worked in many different high schools uh, and many different uh, settings in the metropolitan area. I also got involved very much in uh, adult education. I taught at Drisha. uh, I taught for Wexner over the years in different uh, programs. Uh, And I also have had the opportunity, I taught uh, at uh, YCT uh, Rabbinical School uh, in the mid-2000s. Uh, I taught uh, there for, for full time for a, a stint uh, helping shape uh, rabbinical students. And I also had the great uh, pleasure of helping found uh, Maya Note, uh, the Yeshiva High School for Girls in Teaneck, New Jersey, in the late uh, in the late uh, 20th century, I guess we call it, the 1990s. And then, uh, and then about ten years ago, I also beca- I, uh, my family and I moved to the suburbs. We were living in uh, New York City. I'm in Manhattan, and we moved to the suburbs. And I became the rabbi ten years ago of a uh, shul of a synagogue in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. Um, is there anything you have not done?
0: Because <laughs> that. that is pretty unbelievable. You're also the pre- Are you still the president of the International Rabbinic Fellowship?
1: Yes. Uh, two years ago, I became the president of the International Rabbinic Fellowship. I'm still a member of the Rabbinical Council of America, of many other organizations, and um, yeah. Uh, two years ago, I became a mem- uh, I became the president and uh, hopefully ask, i have one more year on my sentence <laughs> why is it that
0: everyone makes that joke about every presidency uh, come on yeah it's not so bad
1: yeah it's not so bad but uh yeah
0: <laughs> you're happy to pass on the torch to somebody else in a year
1: i will in a year and a, and a half yeah in a year i will pass on the torch yes caring is caring what so maybe um why? Why
0: are you so doing so many things? You're a super rabbi. You're like, there's, why? Well, I, what,
1: what drives I mean, you? I mean, the cynical answer would be, you know, you got to put food on the table and pay for yeshiva tuition. But in addition to that, um, I, I enjoy a lot of different areas. I enjoy teaching kids. Uh, I enjoy interacting with adults. I enjoy scholarship. I enjoy helping uh, shape the next generation of rabbis. I like to be involved in the, the discourse of the modern Orthodox community. I've always been interested in that. I've, I was from an early age. I was brought in by a lot of people who shared with me, wanted me as a young person to be involved in uh, conferences and, and and think tanks. And I was given ri- lots of wonderful opportunities. And, and I, was taught by, by rabbeim, by teachers who very much encouraged uh, their students to get involved and not just sit in the ivory tower. And so um, I enjoy learning Torah very much on all levels, Tanakh, uh, Bible, Talmud, uh, Jewish law, but I also enjoy interacting with people. So it's, it's been a lot of cross-section of touching many bases in my life. For me,
0: in my professional life, and again, I'm, I'm just the moderator here, so I don't usually interject my... Uh, feelings or experience, but on this kind of thing, I'm happy to. I'm I'm much more of like drilling down into one particular thing that I love. I mean, I like being involved in some other things. Um, it's interesting to hear how you speak in such a, I mean, it's really beautiful and such a fulfilled way, like of all of these different channels and different pieces of you that you're able to uh, share with others uh, and give those talents, you know, expression in so many different ways. It's actually uh, it's like a different model, which is it's remarkable. I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. <laughs> um, tell me, what's what's your biggest challenge in the in your professional life, your the rabbinate or your or Jewish education, or where do you see the challenge? I mean,
1: in the in the rabbinate, it's uh, the biggest challenge is sometimes you know you are you become privy to very very difficult family situations and you try to help, but there's limits to what you can do both because of your own uh, professional um, abilities. Uh, you're not necessarily a psychologist, you're not necessarily a therapist and number two because you know just there's limits to what uh, a person can do, a counselor uh, can help. You know, people sometimes are in very difficult situations uh, and the choices that they make are not always the best choices. And sometimes it's Hobbesian choices. They don't have great choices. And you get you get you, know, you feel the pain and you sometimes can't always share it with others because there's a lot of confidentiality and there's a lot of there's a lot of pain out there, which you can't always solve. And so that's a, that weighs on, on me from time to time that I know about situations in my community or in any community and I can't always solve and help people. So that, that, that's, you know, uh, and in, you know, in, in teaching, as you know, as a principal, as a, as a teacher in the classroom, you, you know, you pour out your, your, your guts and your heart and sometimes you don't see the results right away. And sometimes it can be frustrating. Did you, you know, did you get through and sometimes kids, you know, teenagers, uh, sometimes they're in a different place than where you would like them to be. And so that, you know, and, and to make sure that you don't take anything personally and all those things, you know, so that becomes a challenge to be able to achieve what you want. And on the other hand, you see tremendous success in many areas. Uh, you see growth from a kid that you taught in ninth grade to 12th grade, or later on when they are alumni and they get back to you. and So there's a lot of satisfaction as well in that. But sometimes you also see, um, you know, frustration, uh, on the day-to-day, you know, things and just the relentlessness of, as you know, of uh, being right. a school principal, uh, yeah. re- the relentlessness of the day and of the expectation and being on every second uh, as a teacher and as a rabbi. So, yeah, those, those are challenging sometimes. Yeah, and especially,
0: you know, for someone it sounds like who has such uh, such a sense of uh, sensitivity to human suffering or emotions that, you know, you mentioned working with the people in your show or seeing students who are suffering or, you know, need to grow or have other things. um, It can really, it can weigh down. You're you're keeping a lot on your shoulders. Um, Let me ask you one question before we jump to the radical moderation part of the show. Um, And it's a bit of a personal question. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I remember, uh, and you'll correct me uh, if I'm wrong about the timing. But I remember reading an article you wrote, it must have been, it feels like 15 years ago, but maybe I'm, maybe more or less, you know, you'll, you'll tell me where you shared a very personal, uh, challenging period in your life where you struggled with your, you know, depression. Um, and it was like deep mental health issues. And I remember reading it and being, it was like the first time I had ever read somebody I knew who was a Jewish communal leader sharing the fragility of themselves and being so open and vulnerable. And I, you know, it, it was really moving to me. I, 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 what, first of all, what prompted you to write it? Did I get that right? Can you right. share with your listeners a little bit about that with my listeners? Sure. Listeners.
1: sure. Yeah. So in, um, you're correct. It, it's a little bit more than 15 years ago. It's, it was um, actually published about a month before September 11th, 2001, before nine 11, uh, It was published in the Orthodox Union's Jewish Action, Uh, and um, it was a a lengthy piece that described my struggle with um, serious depression uh, in the late 1990s uh, and early 2000. Um, And I had gone through, and I described at great length that article, Um, I had gone through a, when I came back, I had taken a sabbatical year in Israel in the 1996, and I came back to help start Maya Note, um, the, the new Jewish high school for women, for girls in um, young girls, young women in uh, Teaneck. and I experienced a very serious bout of depression at that time. Uh, one that I at first didn't understand what was happening, but with help, um, I was able to to understand what was happening to me and to turn to therapists uh, who helped me uh, go through talk therapy and through medication, and it was a very, uh, a very painful time, very difficult time. But I got a tremendous amount of support from friends, family, and uh, coworkers. And what struck me—you asked me specifically why I wrote about my personal experience. What struck me was as I, as I was emerging out of my the serious, uh, most difficult episode of the episodes of the depression, and beginning to step back into my a regular life, I kept hearing from friends and family, you know, distant family saying, yeah, um, I had a cousin who also experienced something similar. Yes, my mother, when she had her third child had postpartum depression. Um, I would meet people all over the place who had some kind of, you know, not six degrees of separation like Kevin Bacon, but like, you know, three degrees or two degrees of separation. And I was astounded how, how many people in the community, in the Orthodox community, and, I, and not only in the modern Orthodox community, also in the Haredi community I would meet. Um, and, I, and they had experience with mental health issues, but no one was talking openly about it. And in fact, in some parts of the more a traditional community, people were not talking about it at all. And there was this kind of stigma to getting help, getting therapy, uh, talking about, uh, and and it seemed to me crazy. I mean, that was the only word I thought to myself when I was emerging out of this. I said, I went through this very, very difficult, two very difficult episodes uh, at that time uh, of of clinical depression, and people in our community are experiencing it, and no one is talking about it honestly, openly, giving people uh, direction, talking about how to talk to a friend who's in in depression, uh, trying making resources available. I mean, this is about 20 years ago. Uh, the community was not as open as it was today. It, 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 to me, it was very similar to, you know, when I was a kid, um, so Ari, I don't know how old you are, but you know, I'm 55. But when I was a kid uh, in, the, in the Orthodox community, so we didn't really talk openly and honestly about kids with mental disabilities with- Rabbi, I yeah.
0: just wrote down at the top of my interview yeah. paper here. Yeah. Special needs, depression, infertility. There's certain things we didn't talk about. Now we're talking about. Right. special
1: and, needs, you and, know. and and you know, and as I and by the 90s, thank God, you know, there were camps like Hask, and there were wonderful people were willing and open to talk about inclusion of people with special needs and stuff like that. And I said we need to do something similar for mental health issues because God forbid um, if if we continue. Just with stigmas and, and and not talking about it and keeping it shush and and all kinds of things like that, people are gonna get hurt. Are more people are, who could be helped and out of pain are not being helped and out of pain. So so I decided if I can help, if if the more people who can talk openly about it, the lower the stigma will become. And maybe if I write an article about it, then other people will write and and we had a conference around the same time I published the article and I had other people talk about their experiences and we had like 400 people come mm-hmm. and it was like, and it was like, this was, and that was the goal to have more open conversation, less, to, to begin the process of less stigma. I can't say that there's no stigma anymore attached to it, but that just like when people have cancer, God forbid, or diabetes, and they have to take some time out to, to get treatment, everyone understands it and everyone is sympathetic and empathetic. And so too, when it comes to mental health issues, that should be the reaction. Try to find ways to be supportive, helpful, empathetic, not to say stupid things like just put, put, pull yourself out of it. Like right. a person can pull themselves out of cancer, it's ridiculous. So to learn what it is, to recognize that, you know, whatever it is, 20% of young Jewish males, 25% between the ages of 25 to 35, the, the, the data say, are going to probably have some experience with depression to, to talk about that and hopefully also to prevent the, the worst, you know, the at the end of the spectrum to help prevent suicide for people who feel that they have nowhere to turn. And hopefully we can, you know, that's, that was the, those were the major motivating factors in why I wrote the article. It's really,
0: I remember being really moved by it. I remember where I was when I read it. I mean, that's how powerful it was to me. I was standing up on the sixth floor in Ramaz. So I should have realized it was more than 15 years ago because that's when I I worked. I stopped working there, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago. Um, you know, it'd be interesting. We have Yachad Shabbat, you know, across uh, the country. We have infertility Shabbatot. I don't know, is there a mental health uh, so, Shabbos for synagogues, Orthodox synagogues or broadly?
1: So there are... Thank God there's a lot more programming. Uh, I don't know necessarily mental health Shabbat, but we've hosted in my shul uh, uh, speakers on mental health issues, suicide issues. There's a lot of programming that I see in other synagogues. Uh, I've spoken uh, at Stern College and other places in the last decade. Um, So it's definitely much more on the uh, agenda. It's definitely spoken about much more honestly. I think there's much less stigma. About right. saying that I'm seeing a therapist and I'm going and I'm on medication. And like, yeah, I think that that's all positive, uh, positive growth in our community. Yeah, it's interesting. I
0: was at a, and then we'll do the radical moderation part, I promise. Um, I was at a uh, a conference of heads of schools in New York, uh, I don't know, a few months ago. And we were just talking about, it was, a, it's mostly modern Orthodox schools, but every, you know, across the full gamut of modern Orthodoxies from single gender to co-ed to uh, more modern to so less you know whatever it is um every single school uh commented that sort of like having a guidance counselor in a school is is, is must it's a must and even to the point where we were saying um the schools in Israel need to have guidance counselors meaning maybe we can't send our young people who are 19 and in you know super impressionable and now for the first time on their own and you know without the support of their parents any of these issues that were uh, bubbling up under the surface but at least under control you go to Israel and they're just going to you know ex- get exacerbated and 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 you know in a like a yes. kettle the steam is going to come out and we were saying like maybe that's a prerequisite for programs that our kids go to from our schools, there needs to be a counselor there for this very reason. I mean, yeah.
1: I'm mean, i very impressed. There a, there's a group of schools that I know that do have psychologists and therapists on staff. And one of the nice things I've also seen in the last few years is that many of the, I, what I would consider the good uh, modern Orthodox camps have added uh, psychologists to the staff of the summer camps. Oh, that's true. Uh, who are there both in terms of training the The um, the staff during the week or the orientation, but also stay, uh, you know, during the course of the summer, or are there for a significant part, you know, or maybe come up every every you know every week for two or three days and stay and deal with some of the challenges. So uh, it's a very it's a very important thing, and more schools should you know in Israel and camps I think definitely need to have it as well, just like schools have school psychologists.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's get to some radical moderation. Um, you've been particularly outspoken about increasing the role of women in halachic Judaism and halachic communities. Um, and obviously this can express itself in lots of different ways. So I guess my question to you is, you know, women in places where they're not having giving shiurim, they can give shiurim in some shoals. They're already giving shiurim. We can get, you know, they want more in terms of uh presence at the, at the, you know, at, on the bima basically. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what are your, what, what motivates you to, to be so passionate about this? What are your goals for it? What would you see as an ideal system for uh,
1: women's leadership in the Orthodox community? So again, I think that, um, you know, we start, I think the starting point that we have to start with is that, uh, God created both men and women, uh, equally. Um, and in the, in the ability and the desire and the commandedness of being of serving god of being what we call in hebrew ovdai hashem that everybody stands as a religious individual i believe every person stands before god as a someone called someone who is called upon to be a servant of god and has tremendous opportunities we're all created in god's image and we all have opportunities and those opportunities may express themselves here and there differently but we all have opportunities and thank God, we live in an age, and I see this as part of the divine uh, manifestation in history, Allah Rafkuk, who saw many phenomenon uh, in history as manifestations of God's hand in history, uh, all kinds of modern uh, uh, things that are happening. The fact is, today, uh, women are tremendously educated, and women have an opportunity to participate in our civic life, in our Uh, religious life, in our communal life, in our political life. And some very talented women uh, and many talented women have the opportunity to also play leadership roles, to help nurture the next generation, to help teach. And we should not, and we should not be, so to speak, shooting ourselves in the foot and not taking advantage of the 50% of our talent pool, of the people who've been educated in our uh, institutions, who have tremendous passion for God, for Judaism, for Torah, for passing it on, who have tremendous abilities. And we have to find ways uh, of, of, of of incorporating them uh, into our uh, into our structure, even though traditionally it's been done. But a lot of things traditionally haven't been done. <laughs> that doesn't mean that we don't do them anymore. A hundred years ago, you, you know, your great-grandparents and my great-grandparents never heard of a bat mitzvah. It was unheard of, uh, but thank God, you know, as women feel more uh, part of the community and part of uh, playing a role uh, religiously, we've created those rituals in a way that work and fit within our uh, halachic uh, parameters. And so okay. I believe very strongly that um, within, you know, defined halachic parameters, we need to be very, we need to, if you ask me by default position, My default position on this issue is, um, without getting into the political issues, but unless there's an explicit prohibition, I really believe that we need to uh, create opportunities as much as possible for women to be uh, involved uh, in sharing Torah, uh, helping guide uh, people pastorally, uh, religiously, uh, in any way, shape or form in the community. Uh, and, uh, and will only be blessed by their contributions. So let me play a little, I, I, I happen to agree, but let me play a little
0: devil's advocate here of someone who would, you know, uh, would, let's say, be a, a different part of the Orthodox community on this view. They would say, of course I agree with Rabbi Helfgott. Women are incredible. In our community, the Reviton gives shirim. she plays a pastoral role, uh, she's, you know, she's wonderful, and Rabbi Helfgott himself said, and we have women who come in to give shirim." you know, mostly for women, you know, they give it to, for women and there's lots of events. There's, there's challah bakes and there's, you know, uh, lots of social events and Torah events. And they're more, you know, they're inspiring and the women are really, uh, they they feel part of our community. And Rabbi, Hel- Helfgott, you yourself said it has to be within defined halachic parameters. So the the Torah says, Melech I mean, not the Torah, it says, Melech. it doesn't say Malka. Uh, yeah. it says, you know, uh, the the Rambam is saying that you can't have women can't have positions of authority. Uh, you know how we look at women in history. That's a that's debated. You know um, th- those who have served as judges and what a judge is is an appointed position. Again, I'm not going right. to re- recount the whole Talmudic debate here. But th- you know there are people in the Orthodox community who say we are, and it's not. You know you're you're trying to push uh, something beyond that by. Giving women uh, leadership in in a formal setting, uh, you know, and, and that's fine for you, but don't make it a hashkafa that we all have to agree
1: with or believe it. How, how would you so respond to that? So my my approach is very simple. I I'm not pushing it on anybody else. Uh, if 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 there are people in communities who are comfortable with their structure and the way that their community works, you know, matovu manaim. I'm not trying to tell anybody in the Satmar community or in the Aguda community how to run their synagogue. At the same time, um, there is, uh, and I, I think very rarely do people um, who advocate for women's education and women more, more, more uh, intensive women's role in leadership are trying to say that others should necessarily adopt that model. No one is saying that. However, there are in communities and in uh, settings, in schools and shuls, where it is a different perspective, where women are not satisfied with the challah and with the, uh, or you know just as taking it as an example, uh, are not satisfied in terms of their spiritual hunger and in terms of their uh, fulfilling their spiritual destiny and in terms of what the needs of their community are. And in terms of impacting on the young women who are also learning Talmud, are also involved in the Jewish community and going to Minyan, et cetera. Um, In those communities, I think that at the same time, um, respect should be given that it may not be for my community, but other communities should not be denounced, should not be attacked, but given the space uh, to follow their halachic lights and to follow their halachic understanding and to create space to include uh, women in spiritual leadership roles, and uh, and to be able to live in harmony uh, with the diversity, just like we have diversity on many other areas within the Orthodox community, and to be able to live, you know, in harmony with that. I also, I just wanted to mention, yeah. as you said, this is not the place to have a long Talmudic uh, discussion. <laughs> yeah. So, but I I have written about the topic that you raised uh, on a blog myself uh, about ten years ago. I wrote about this topic and many others. I've raised the topic. I will just mention very quickly one line. uh, The fact you mentioned the Rambam about Melech ve'lomalka, a king and not a queen. Um, Just very quickly, first of all, uh, not everyone agrees uh, to that uh, Maimonidean statement being taken beyond the confines of that limited issue, number one. Number two, uh, many, many medieval commentaries note that in a community where it's not about an appointed position, but it's a, a community which is run democratically, like our communities, where people are voted in um, to be accepted upon themselves. It's, this whole thing is a totally different uh, ballgame. And clearly, uh, the religious Zionist and modern Orthodox community in Israel, um, as, as my teacher of Liechtenstein once mentioned to me, he said, he finds it very strange that people quote uh, that uh, in opposition to having a, a, a woman be a president of a shul or a woman being uh, the president of this or that, when, you know, in Israel, you can have women who are Chavrei Knesset in religious parties uh, in the modern Orthodox community who could be be in charge of budgets of tens of billions of dollars of shekel, uh, be involved in sending people to life and death to war. So there's a certain uh, dissonance uh, about those things. But anyway, coming back to uh, to specifically, uh, you would ask me, yes, I'm sorry, uh,
0: no, listen. by the way, I wish did Ravaro never publish anything like that, or that's more of a private conversation.
1: Well, it's private conversation, but I, I wrote about that conversation.
0: Ah, you did. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's. Uh, well, you were you were talking about this, and so it brings up first of all, as nitty vote your your shul? Is
1: that a uh, an OU shul? It is not an o, OU synagogue. It never. It's ah. always been since. Uh, I mean, it's about twenty years old. I've only been there 20, ten years, but it's always been a kind of independent synagogue um, on its own. Um, it started as a kind of uh, breakaway, uh, two different groups in the community who wanted to, who knew each other, wanted to come together and create something new. Um, and, uh, it formally became my Orthodox synagogue about 10 years ago when I, you know, right before I came. So, yeah.
0: Got it. So can you share with us uh, a little bit about what happened with the rabbinical council of Bergen County? I know that I believe you were a part of it, or the show was a part of it, and now you're not?
1: No, I'm still, know, that's incorrect. Uh, yeah, good,
0: good, good. Correct me, information.
1: please. I'm, uh, I'm uh, still a very active part of the Rabbinical Council of Bergen County. Um, my synagogue uh, has always been in the forefront of women's uh, involvement uh, in Jewish life uh, in Bergen County. We have, on Simchat Torah, uh, we have women who also receive a Torah for hakafot, for dancing with the Torah. Uh, we've always had, uh, we've had women presidents of our synagogue, uh, and uh, for the last two years we also began, um, we had an internship program uh, where we had um, very talented women who would come to the synagogue uh, about once a month. Uh, they actually lived in other communities, uh, but were studying uh, at Yeshivat Maharat uh, for, uh, for ordination, and they were interns they gave uh, drashot, they gave sermons, they gave shiurim, and uh, they were involved in the life of the community. Um, and um, this past year, there was a, an article in the, in the Jewish newspapers about it earlier in the year, and some of my colleagues on the Rabbinical Council took issue. Uh, they felt that uh, this was uh, uh, training, uh, this was uh, supporting the idea of women rabbis, which they uh, felt was uh, beyond the pale of what a modern Orthodox synagogue uh, should have, and that they felt that they were implicated by that, uh, and they felt that therefore uh, they did not want uh, that to be the, and therefore they, uh, the majority, passed a motion that uh, you know that in the future uh, that should not happen, that uh, women should not be given rabbinic titles or or be internship or be a synagogue in the rabbinical council, a rabbi in the rabbinical council can't have that as part of his synagogue. and So there was a big controversy about it, but I think that we've been able to move beyond that. We're uh, in the process of uh, solving the, the issue. And I, again, I don't want to make more of it. Um, right. many, of the, many of my colleagues are very dear friends. I, I respect uh, their sincerity. I respect their points of view. but I disagreed uh, with them both on substantive grounds and also procedural grounds. I expressed my disagreement in public and as well as privately, and we're working out a way to move forward in a positive way for communal harmony. And that's, I think the best, the best thing that we can say.
0: It sounds like an important model for the rest of the world and country. I don't think there's enough of that. It it seems like when these kinds of things happen, it's often sound bites and press pieces and everybody fighting loudly rather than the, you know, humble, but, but, but a forceful discussion and debate among colleagues who disagree forcefully, but respect each other. I, you know, I think we probably need a little bit more of that. Um, and unfortunately, maybe, well, maybe fortunately people can look towards this. All right, well, last question, and then we'll, uh, we'll say goodbye to you and let you go on your way. Um, what, what would you say is, is the, how is there a, a value in trying to bring the Orthodox community closer together for harmony and all of us sacrificing some of our like our ideals or the the, the pieces we have as hashkafa or is it ideal to have all these different branches within the orthodox community and each of them is serving a need and to each their
1: own i mean which would you say would be ideal look i think that look it's it's a very difficult question i think that it's uh, important that people feel plate people feel comfortable and people feel connected to God and feel that there is uh synagogue, schools, uh, movements that they can connect to in terms of their deepest core values. Uh, well, at the same time, sharing uh, lots of, uh, we share so much in common that sometimes is you know, the phrase, the narcissism of small differences is, uh, is, is problematic. And if it gets in the way of doing important things, that's tragic. I think that it is important. We need, especially today, we need people to feel comfortable. Um, if everybody, you know, it, it's a fine thing to talk about people compromising, as long as there's a this reciprocity and people really, if everybody is asked to compromise something, that's one thing. But often what happens is that one community or one is asked to compromise something and the other one is not. So that's not a, that's not a healthy way to be. So in the, in the context, I guess, I'm not, I can't give you an exact answer, but in the context of the reality, I think that we're going to continue to have uh, differences, just like there's different schools in L.A. that you know cater to different slices of the population. At the same time, we need to find uh, ways of emphasizing where we can, those areas of commonality, uh, those areas where we share, share, we're all Yirei Hashem, we're all uh, people who are committed, uh, devout to God and Judaism and Torah. And, and those areas that we can work together, we should try to highlight that as well.
0: Rabbi, thank you so much for joining us. That was Rabbi Natty Helfgott. Thank you for listening to Radical Moderation. Remember, give us five stars on iTunes. This was a great conversation. Uh, follow us on social media. Twitter handle is at radmoderation, facebook.com forward slash radical moderation. And of course, you can email me with questions or comments at a.segal at org. Rabbi Helfgott, thank you so much. And uh, have a wonderful Shabbat.
1: Shabbat shalom to you.